Finally, I would like to talk a little bit about the last sonata of Haydn, the E-flat major, which is his last piece in this genre. So it, it is something like the B-flat major Schubert sonata for Schubert, or like Opus 111 for Beethoven. Uh, the parallel with Beethoven is, is right because Haydn wrote this in 1794, but he lived another 15 years, so had he wanted to write other piano sonatas, he could have done so. But he, he felt that enough is enough, and he had written for, for the piano and for this genre what he had to say, and he turned his attention more to toward the masses, to more string quartets, and indeed the great oratorios, the, the seasons and, and the creation. Uh, Haydn was very, very happy here in London. He made two trips to England in, in the 1790s, and uh, nowhere else was he so, so well loved and appreciated as, as here in London. And he found new types of keyboard instruments by, at Broadwood and, and, and other firms. These pianos were more brilliant and they had a longer, a wider keyboard than their Viennese counterparts. And this inspired Haydn to, to write more brilliantly. He dedicated this sonata to Therese Janssen, Bartolozzi, who must have been a, a very brilliant keyboard player. And this is a really brilliant concert piece. It starts very majestically. to the Broadwood piano, I think, because the Viennese piano could not do this. Yeah. Now, the beginning, of course, E-flat major, very well-known tonality, well-known key. If you think of Mozart's E-flat major piano quartet a few years before has the same harmonies. So tonic and then the seventh chord and then the subdominant and then the dominant and the tonic again. Uh, again here we have the parallel with Mozart and Haydn, who really respected, and I could say they really had the highest respect for each other. Here, Haydn must have known the Mozart piece that precedes his sonata by a few years. What happens after that? 
getting close to the dominant. This is the dominant of the dominant. And we have the same theme on the dominant. So there is there are monothematic tendencies in this sonata. He's using the same theme more than once. on the dominant now. And here comes a delightful new theme that we have not heard before. Um, you remember in the fantasy here we have the horns again. into the minor mode. And just by a change, a little alteration, back to the major. theme sounds familiar because uh, but it's in disguise these descending thirds we heard in the beginning of the movement but in legato detached, staccato. Silent. What happens? This is incredibly orchestral. You have, you can hear the timpani roll here. And orchestral music, but on the piano. But God forbid that somebody would orchestrate this, <laughs> because the orchestra would sight-read it and they don't rehearse. Uh, <laughs> this has to be rehearsed.
repeat of the exposition, but I save you from that this time, <laughs> not in the concert. <laughs> now, again, beginning of the development section, extraordinary. Just three chords that changed the world. Again, what does a musical listener expect now? For example... <laughs> this is not what comes. This is so cheeky, this, this theme. Improvisatory passage leads us now to dominant of G minor. And then comes a very polyphonic passage, just two voices, but very intricate. It's really like, like Bach. solemn and tranquil, and now it's very passionate. It's just using fragments of this theme. In all register registers, It's like, like an earthquake, a huge outburst that is completely unexpected. And uh, now it could come again. But Haydn would, wouldn't be Haydn if he did that. crazy. I don't know how anybody can think of this. G major and E, of course they are third related, but 
This theme comes now in E major, and it's, it's strategically very important, because E major, we will see, will be the tonality of the slow movement. So this is a foreshadow of that, of things to come. transition theme from the exposition, very melancholy. We are still... And how on earth will Haydn come back home? The famous homecoming. Now listen. threshold of the home. This is quite extraordinary. And then let me just play for you the end of the movement and how he gets into the slow movement and what, what a fantastic shock that is, even today. I mean, it always gives me goose pimples when I hear this. that we finished in E-flat major and then I would play the same movement in an expected key. It would be quite conventional or subdominant but not in E major this is really such such a dramatic clash so here we have an adagio a very profound slow movement again Beethoven used 
this kind of music very often later in the Tempest Sonata, for example. interesting to observe that Haydn's slow movements are very often marked adagio, largo, so are Beethoven's, and Mozart's almost never. Mozart writes uh, andante, andantino, allegretto, more, more flowing so-called slow movements that are not really slow. So, in this middle movement, then it, it has an ABA form, after the maggiore, we have a middle part in the minor. in character and very, very dramatic, almost theatrical. in other pieces, the, the unison is very speaking in character, very rhetorical. It sounds like a chorus from, from the underworld of the Furies. But it's like, like Orpheus who has tamed the Furies. And then we get the major section in, in a varied uh, form. Uh, at the end of this... Uh, with these five repeated notes on the note G. So our musical memory tells us that 
The last note in the bass was E natural. So this piece is now in E minor, no? That's what we expect. Mm. Instead of that, this E flat in the in the this one note changes the whole situation. We are back in the E flat major of the whole sonata. Here is a fermata, as if Haydn would give the listener time to recover from this shock, yes? Uh, <laughs> If lost, he repeats the whole thing in F minor. And a further fermata. Now he could go on. I can go on and on. However, he only does this trick twice. Uh, So let's do this again from beginning that you get a feel of it. Yeah. Something singing, very cantabile, chromatic. And now we hear the knocking and the singing together. And then we get the knocking theme in a chorus. Recitativo, yes. We are getting towards the dominant B flat major. And then comes a very virtuoso passage again, reminiscent of Domenico Scarlatti with the big belly. 
he drops on this low bass note and we get a little more knocking inverted counterpoint Again, the imitation of, of an orchestra. Repeat of the exposition, not now. Development section. Remember this in the first movement. So he goes on, on a similar ground. is always present, but sometimes it's in the second violin part. Sunny uh, clothes. And now we are back in the tonic, but it doesn't feel like the tonic because it's so far away from our starting point. Um, uh, Now we could expect, uh, but it's not coming. the same theme, it's an inversion of that. He turns it upside down and back again. all the possibilities comes a recitativo like in an opera aria and the return 
Recapitulation Haydn is never mechanical. Now he adds two other voices, inner voices, that we have not heard before. Thank you very much.